0: you can't cut to a few parts of conversations and then be like tune in to see more like <laughs> it it just doesn't work <laughs>
1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Spoiler Warning Podcast. This is review number 371 with a review of The End of the Tour. I'm Christopher Schneezy.
0: I'm Stephen Miller.
1: And if you're joining us for the first time, the Spoiler Warning Podcast is a weekly film review program. Each week in the show, we're going to dive in, debate, discuss, and argue over the latest film releases coming to a theater near you. Uh, this week, Stephen's going to school me about the life of David Foster Wall- or Wallace. Oh, no. And uh, we're going to be talking about The End of the Tour. Yeah, so this is what so, I've been training
0: for my whole career. <laughs> My whole years as being the pretentious guy on the podcast who makes uh, that one listener roll his eyes. This is the one. I know David Foster Wallace. <laughs> I've seen all the James Bond's old movies. I'm ready. I'm ready to be a hipster about this.
1: <laughs> and I am willing to, co- ready to come into this episode having known nothing about him other than the fact that uh, over the years you have sent me the occasional uh, essay i still haven't read (laughs) yep and
0: uh so the the big question which we'll have to answer is does this movie make you want to read them Uh, we we will be answering that not right Right. now we we can answer it (laughs)
1: later just to get everyone ready for it (laughs) all right Just, just just making sure i didn't know whether i should like jump on that and answer your question right now or if i should wait
0: but yeah i'm I'm a big David Foster Wallace fanboy, definitely. I shouldn't brag about that because my brother is a bigger one (laughs) and many other people are. I'm really just, (laughs) like music and everything, I'm just like hanging on the coattails of other people who've already found cool stuff for me. Um, But I did read all of Infinite Jest. I've read pretty much all of his books of short stories, all of his essays. I read the exact interview that this movie was based on. So yeah, I've... I'm prepared for this one. So was that interview not published? It was not published in Rolling Stone, to my knowledge. I think um, okay. basically Rolling Stone decided there wasn't a story there. The guy buried it. And then when he died 12 years later, the guy realized, oh, this was actually a good conversation. Maybe it'll provide insight into why he did what he did.
1: Okay. And, and so it so this the account of this time was released as a book and also as... The actual story that he originally was going to write? Or is the. Just the story.
0: The book is mostly dialogue with like a few paragraphs of narration, kind of like this movie does, where he's describing what the room looked like. Uh, but almost all of it is just verbatim dialogue back and forth. So it, it isn't really painting a character portrait, except for it's edited, of course. So it's, um, you know, when you edit a conversation, you can still emphasize whatever you want to emphasize.
1: Yeah, yeah, but I mean, like, so in, in theory, the, the makers of this film have literal dialogue to go from. It's not just like, let's try to write a really well-spoken man and a young man who's starting his career and upset that, like, somebody else has a ton of recognition that he wants.
0: <laughs> no, they, they have precise dialogue to go through. Jason Segel, in his interview with Mark Maron, he even said that he got access to the tapes, including conversations that didn't make it into the book. So, he actually basically listened to David Foster Wallace saying these things to David Linsky, Lipsky. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so pretty much the entire screenplay was written. All they had to do was piece it together in a story.
1: Okay, awesome. Yeah, so, okay, so it's cool. So, like, I, 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 not only do I not know anything about David Foster Wallace, I knew nothing about this interview or anything like that. So, I, that was one thing that I was curious of whether the words are like the words of the actual man or just things written in as close to the style of the actual man that somebody could write themselves when trying to make up a conversation that yeah, I know, place. This,
0: this wasn't David Oyelowo's Martin Luther King. This is uh, whatever future <laughs> Steven Spielberg Martin Luther King comes out. That makes it sound like Steven Spielberg is going to be playing Martin Luther King. <laughs> Whoever he casts, <laughs> you you get the point.
1: Let's be honest, It's it's his name just escaped me just because I was going to I was going to make the uh the reference to him but the guy who who played Lincoln for him. <laughs> <laughs>
0: What's his name? Um oh, the entire world hates us right now. Daniel Day-Lewis. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis in, in Blackface. Lewis. Yes.
1: Or Robert Downey Jr. <laughs> oh, it would be funny if like the guy- The guy playing Martin Luther King was unaccredited before the movie came out. And at the end, right at the end, Daniel Day-Lewis.
0: Rips off his Mission Impossible mask.
1: (laughs) It was me the whole time. (laughs) Anyways, that's totally going to be edited better so that it doesn't sound like uh... (laughs) we both brain farted for too Mm -hmm. long. But anyways, um, but yeah, that, that, that was something that I was curious about over the course of the film just because... So th- this was my first like, introduction to him as a person and his dialogue and the kind of things that he thinks. Um, so my, my take on the film is basically just what do I think of this man that's being presented to me? Um, and obviously your take is going to be how do they present this person that I've already known about? And, and how do I feel about the presentation as I'm assuming how kind of our reviews are going to go? Right. I think so. All right, So, I mean, we, we've we joked a little bit in uh, messages to each other that this is either going to be like a really interesting long episode or a really short kind of like, that's what we thought. Done. Yep. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, what do you say we just get into it? Uh, yeah, let's go for it. All right, we are going to take, take a listen to the trailer for the end of the tour and then come back and give you guys a review. When I think of this trip, I see David and me in the front seat of his car. He wants something better than he has. I want precisely what he has already. David Wallace, welcome to Minneapolis. Uh, hi, I'm, I'm David Loseley. Oh, how are you? Hi. hi, okay, David and David. We
0: only just met, he's writing a piece on the tour.
1: What's this story about in your mind? Just what it's like to be the most talked about writer in the country, that sort of thing. You're like a nervous guy, huh? <laughs> no, 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 I'm okay, how are you? I'm, because I'm terrified. I gotta ask. What is with the bandana?
0: I know that it's a security blanket for me. Whenever I'm kind of afraid, my head is going to explode.
1: <laughs> if we ate like this all the time, what would be wrong with that? It's like good, seductive commercial entertainment, like, uh, like Die Hard. First Die Hard. The first Die Hard. Great game. film. Yes. No, it's a brilliant. The film. best. Hey, isn't it reassuring to have a lot of people read you? I think if the book is about anything, yeah, it's about
0: the question of why. Why am I doing it? And what's so American about
1: what I'm doing? <laughs> If um, they're responding to your work and your work is really personal, then reading you is another way of meeting you, isn't that right? That's so good. Thank you. I
0: don't know why you mean to me. I think that if there's a sort of sadness for people under 45, it has something to do with pleasure and achievement and entertainment, like a sort of emptiness at the heart of what they thought was going on. I got a real serious fear of being a certain way I treasure my regular guyness. You don't
1: crack open a thousand page book Because you heard the author is a regular guy You do it because he's brilliant What is with you? What is with you? I'm not so sure you want to be me Just be a good guy The more people think you're really great The bigger the fear of being a fraud is David thought books existed to stop you from feeling lonely. Living those days with him reminded me of what life is like. And the conversation is the best one I ever had. It's me talking as the tape recorder. I'm smoking. Having just said I wouldn't smoke, I'm smoking. Just me and your tape recorder. All right. So that was the trailer for the end of the tour. Um, basically it is the story of this interview that took place between a Rolling Stone writer by the name of David Lipsky and, uh, the novelist David Foster Wallace. And, uh, it's really just their five days together, um, hanging out at the end of the tour for his book, um, Infinite Jest. So Stephen, I know you were excited to see the film. Um, Obviously, when you're excited to see a film about a person that uh, you know a lot about a lot, uh, excuse me know a lot about um th- there is potential for the film to not impress you or do things great for you um was this film able to get past that or uh like do you think this is a good telling of the story and how did you feel about it?
0: Yeah, so I think there was excitement for the film, but more than anything, it was like a dread of vicarious embarrassment. <laughs> like, it was just because... Okay, so when I found out they were making this movie, James Ponsalt is making a movie about David Foster Wallace starring Jason Siegel. I think I and most of the internet, our immediate reaction was, the f***? Like, what? <laughs> <laughs> you can decide how to bleep that. Um, but, like, d- Jason Siegel, especially, that casting... Everyone, I think, was a little nervous about it because he had never done a strictly dramatic role. And all of a sudden, he was doing basically a biopic, like playing a real character with real known mannerisms who was supposed to be like very intelligent and introspectful. And I was super worried that they were going <laughs> to like screw it up somehow or they were going to make it be too much about uh, David Foster Wallace's suicide or make it too kind of tidy and melodramatic. Yeah. I, I, I was really worried. I think more than I was excited about the movie, I was worried that it was going to disappoint me. Um, and it turns out, I think, I had no right to be worried because it's kind of... kind of the choice of everyone involved is pretty perfect in this movie. Um, so when I think about it, James Ponsoldt has, like, this huge respect for basic conversation, like like Smashed, which I forget. Did you see Smashed? I did, and I really disliked it. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> so anyway, I loved Smashed because Mary Elizabeth Winstead gives these speeches, these like, I have a problem, Alcoholics Anonymous speeches that are just completely crushing to me. Like, they're so true and emotional um and the spectacular now takes a high school romance and again just convinces us like no this isn't funny this isn't stupid this matters (laughs) you know like like that movie took two 17 year olds and made me actually care about them so james ponsel has always been really good at taking just two people talking and making it feel very powerful specifically making people who struggle with addiction and alcohol discuss how hard it is. And, and even Jason Segel, like, everyone he plays, like, from Freaks and Geeks, I think you didn't see that one either. No. Uh, he, he always plays this, like, ultra-sincere character who he's kind of goofy, and he takes lowbrow things, and he just loves the hell out of them. <laughs> like, like, he's going to learn a drum solo, and he loves it, or Marshall has to find the best cheeseburger in New York. And he might also be like a judge or a high-profile lawyer, but he also believes in the abominable snowman <laughs> and he loves pancakes. <laughs> you, know, you know, like that's who he is. He's a totally uncynical person. Um, yeah. And it, like if there's any through line in David Foster Wallace's output, it's this idea that you should not be cynical, like that you should never be too intellectual. You should never be too hip. Like, above all else, you just need to love mundane things like Pop-Tarts or Diet Coke <laughs> or what, whatever it is that makes you happy. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I think one, once this movie started running, everything just clicked in a really nice way. I think Jason Siegel totally inhabited uh, the character of David Foster Wallace. Like, even if he doesn't talk exactly like him, but the way he behaves and the things that he values, like, I definitely believed him as that character. And Jesse Eisenberg, (laughs) by contrast, has always played a kind of, like, asshole to me, like a super intellectual guy who's very aware of how he sounds. And I thought he brought that to this role, which is exactly what uh, David Lipsky is supposed to be, this intelligent New Yorker who's talking to his idol and is always trying to, like, probe him while impressing him. Uh, So I thought, yeah, the character dynamics of this movie, I thought, were spot on. I was very happy about that the the reason i can't be unbiased about it is because (laughs) i literally read the script for this movie like like i read the book that is this dialogue verbatim happening between two people so yeah the things that they're talking about i already know i like i love that conversation i wish i wish i could be someone else hearing it for the first time because i love the things they talk about and the things it demonstrates about these two characters um but for me, instead, I just kind of have to focus on the details, like the, the mundane parts of the story, like how is it filmed, how does it build the relationship, how well do the character beats align with what I know of those characters. I, and I thought, like, James Ponsell did a really good job building this. He, uh, the whole movie has this very, like, particular, groggy road trip feel. Like, you know, have you ever been on a long road trip and, like, in the morning the sun is coming up, and you're all kind of sweaty, <laughs> and you're drinking, like, soda and Gatorade, and the car is a little hot, and everybody's tired, and, like, the sun is in your eyes. And you're having these kind of, like, deep conversations that also alternate between totally mundane shit, like what music you like or what you had for dinner the last night. Um, I, I feel like this whole movie really gave me that feeling again of being back in a car, driving aimlessly, and just thinking about life. Uh, so, yeah, I, don't, I really like this movie. I, <laughs> I I wish I could see it as someone who didn't know all of the lines already, but I'm, I'm yeah. happy with how he made it, and I hope to someone who didn't already know all the dialogue that it was as good for them as it was for me.
1: Yeah, well, I guess to answer both your questions, the one that you started before the episode began, or did as the episode was beginning and this question just now um I, I i think that it plays great for somebody who knew none of that stuff um i really really enjoyed this movie and for you know the reasons you, you said basically this dialogue i'm actually happy to hear that i don't need to go get this book now because the movie is all the Yeah, i would not the read the book actually. <laughs> because, yeah no because it, it was one of those things where like halfway through the movie, I was like, I should get the book that this is written on because I really just... This conversation is really engaging. Um, I really... Uh, I really just loved all the... Like, I, I would love to be sitting there holding a tape recorder just listening to him talk. Like, it would be cool to be on a little trip like this listening to him. Um, it makes me want to read, you know, the essays and shit that you've already like linked me <laughs> to that I've never read. Um, because it... It, I mean, it, it is kind of funny at the beginning of this um, – uh, the beginning of the film where, like, the entire first 20 minutes is just everybody just, like, verbally filleting David Foster yeah. Wallace. Like, <laughs> and then characters being angry that everybody else is doing that and being like, how great could this guy – Like, my favorite favorite moment in the movie is, like, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's character, David Lipsky, it, it Just he finishes reading, like, this review about how, like, you can just, like – Quit the book awards for next year because the, the infinite Jess is going to win, like hands down. And like Jesse Eisenberg is like, how can they even say that? And then it just smashed cut to him, like closing the book saying shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's like, this book is the greatest book I've ever read. Um, like that moment just made me laugh. And I was like, oh, God, I'm going to have to read this thousand f- page book now. <laughs> you can read shorter things uh, <laughs> first, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff out there. Yeah, yeah, but it was just funny because like I told you, I told you the next day that I had read like the foreword to, to, to the book, and I was like, "It's just one guy talking about how great this man is." Like the entire foreword is just like, "Oh my god, it's impossible to read this book and not think it's the greatest book you've ever <laughs> written in your entire life." And it was kind of funny, like just the amount of affection that random people. I mean, obviously these aren't random people, but like it's just it's just amazing. Like it's it's one of those things. Where like if this is this is the movie equivalent of I don't know any movie that is like held in like high esteem. Like I'm like I can't possibly read this book now and be impressed by it because the only thing I know about it is that it's the greatest piece of writing ever written on the face of the earth, you know, since <laughs> the Bible or whatever. Yeah, I wouldn't
0: <laughs> I wouldn't give it that kind of a claim. It is great though, and I think even if it's overhyped, you'll still be surprised by how much you like it. Yeah, yeah,
1: I, I just it, it's. It's just funny to me in general that, like, it, it, like I, I I think the exact joke I made to you is this is the point in Mission Impossible 5, which is, you know, like, you know, drink now because I'm referencing Mission Impossible again in our second review for the weekend. Um, but, like, it's the scene where Alec Baldwin is talking off <laughs> Ethan Hunt. He's like, Ethan Hunt is the embodiment of everything that is blah, 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 blah. And he just, like, basically says some piece of dialogue that, like, no human being would say about another human being ever. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um... It did make me laugh. Um, but anyways, yeah, I mean, it's... Uh, David Foster Wallace is an interesting man. Um, you know, we we were joking a little bit before we actually went to see the movie. We, we You know, we saw the trailer um, in the theater like a, a night or two before we went and saw this movie when we went and saw Stanford Prison Experi- Experiment. I almost said experience. <laughs> it's the new Disneyland um, ride coming out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... Uh, we kind of laughed at the trailer because like it had a weird feel to it It, it
0: does not work as a trailer at all <laughs> I'll, I'll just say that yeah, like yeah it doesn't. you can't cut to a few parts of conversations and then be like tune in to see more Like, <laughs> it it just doesn't work
1: yeah yeah and, and, and one of the things that i asked you um when we, the other day when we were at work is you know like is, is that the way that david foster wallace really spoke because like it seems like even if that is the correct way to speak, like from a filmmaking standpoint, it makes no sense that you would ask your character to speak that Mm way. Um, And that was like my, my, that was my question about uh, Jason Siegel's uh, manner of speaking from the trailer. And like when the movie started from his opening line of dialogue, I was like, Oh no, I have no problem with this at all. I don't even know why I thought it was weird in the trailer because it totally feels like normal human speech patterns. So I don't know. Something about the trailer really made me like. Well, I guess I'll watch this movie that's about some guy that everybody loves. Um, and then when I saw it, I was like, no, this is definitely cool. Like, I, it, it's it's weird to me even that like Rolling Stones passed on on the uh, the article. I mean, obviously I didn't read the article in the form it was originally going to be in, um, so I have no idea what story wasn't there. But like, the film as a whole was incredibly engaging made me want to read more of his work and um uh, yeah i I had, I had a great time with it like it's uh <laughs> he he definitely speaks you know, david foster wall speaks to my sensibilities and even the the uh commencement speech that you linked me to that i listened to i was like that was freaking yeah, amazing and I, I
0: actually think that is like the best primer to his philosophy like either this movie or that speech because uh, like yeah I think a lot of, even in this movie, when people are interviewing him, like the big emphasis is Infinite Jest is so long. Ooh, it's a thousand pages. Look, it weighs three pounds. It makes a thud when it lands on your doorstep. And people kind of build that up as this like ultra hip, postmodern, self masturbatory like exercise. And the guy is actually like, crazily down to earth most of the time. And I, I think like that's what this yeah. movie really tried to nail home is that he can have a really big vocabulary, but the things he's trying to express are pretty mundane. It's like like the commencement speech, he talks about like true true knowledge or true freedom is being able to sacrifice in myriad unsexy ways every day. Like like the little acts of kindness you do for each other. Are kind of what makes life worth living. Um, And even in those big, massive books, it's all kind of about that of people like being lonely, having impossible expectations on them, fighting addiction. Uh, He wrote a lot of nonfiction. (laughs) Like, ironically, Rolling Stone later had him write a few essays. (laughs) Um, And so he would profile, like, go on a luxury cruise or go to like a state fair in Indiana or go to a porn convention <laughs> and he would take all these kind of uh kind of lowbrow things and try to find like what is why do I feel lonely here or like what is off about this stuff. Yeah. Like what are what are people searching for when they get on a boat and sail across the ocean and pay thousands of dollars trying to be happy? Like don't you feel a kind of a burden of being happy after that? Um, so yeah that 's kind of a throughput in everything he does, and I thought this movie, or at least the parts of the conversation they chose to throw in, did a really good job of hopefully <laughs> convincing people that like this is not rocket science, this is actually like pretty easy to get through literature it 's just long <laughs> because he 's got a lot of shit to say
1: yeah yeah no and, and one thing that was interesting too is like it it 's like obviously the the, the if if the interview didn't take place in real life, I would not almost not believe that these two people sat down together because they're they're really like the antithesis of each other. Like like David Foster Wallace is like the the doubly intelligent version of Dave Lipsky, but who doesn't care at all about that intelligence. Like he wants to be like simplified, but speaking with big words. And then like Dave Dave Lipsky, yeah, Lipsky is like the opposite of that. Like he wants people to think that he's super bright and intelligent, and like it seems like a very incredibly well uh, paired group of individuals for a pretend narrative about like a really smart person and a person who aims to be really smart. (laughs) And it's weird that like in real life, these two people actually met and had those personalities um, and actually had this interview together. Um, I mean, does that? Yeah, no, definitely. It, it does seem almost
0: too perfect a pairing. Uh, but then at the same time it's it's kind of an understandable pairing like when you become <laughs> renowned as the greatest ex of all time yeah anyone who interviews you is going to be like wanting to be you so that dynamic is always going to be there i think
1: yeah and i actually really liked that that dynamic too just the the idea of like Jesse Eisenberg's character was was sort of like this mix of like i really want to be this man and does this man deserve the praise that he gets? Like he he's sort of like a mix of wanting to take him down and wanting to praise him at the same time, uh, which which is really interesting in a way. Like it, it this is like the good version of true story. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Except for one of them wasn't in jail. You know yeah, I mean? no
0: no children wound up in suitcases, but otherwise it's pretty much the same. <laughs>
1: oh man i almost forgot children were in suitcases
0: yeah and and so uh, i want to give credit to the source material because obviously this movie is the conversations and like without those conversations this movie would be 10 minutes long probably (laughs) um yeah but i i don't want to make it sound like that's all there is like i think there was actually a lot of craft that went into making this movie um like i think James Ponsalt I was realizing when I I rewatched The Spectacular Now last night actually and I was realizing one of my favorite things about it is the way that he makes you feel like you know this town and like you know this place so well and he does a lot of stuff with like mood lighting like the sun setting in the trees when uh, when Sutter and Amy Finicky are like having their first kiss or the the way he has the soundtrack cl- cut in at just the right amount of time, the way he knows when to make the camera look away. Um I think he's really good at building emotion out of dialogue heavy movies. And I, I like I felt like this movie actually did a lot of that. Like I, I was really impressed with the way he brought these locations to life that obviously weren't described in the book. Like the book basically says we were driving, we got to the hotel, we're in the Mall of America, we're in his home and all the little details he threw in of, like, like dogs pushing open the crack door to slobber on <laughs> on Dave Lipsky. Yeah. Or um, little details. Like, I don't even remember if the Alanis Morissette poster is actually there. Uh, I don't I, I felt like he did really good with the little freedom that he was given uh, to make it actually feel like you have met this person. Uh, and also, yeah. some of the strongest dialogue in the movie, I thought, was actually when the tape recorder is off and it isn't verbatim anymore. Like like there's a conversation they have towards the very end when David Lipsky is trying to sleep and David Foster Wallace walks into his room and tries to kind of re-explain something he couldn't explain before and that yeah. like that is certainly not verbatim in the book like that is them writing Jason Segel delivering it the way he would deliver it and i thought that might have been like the best part of the movie <laughs> so it isn't just like reciting shakespeare like there's definitely interesting creative choices they made to try to make make people relate to it in an
1: hour and 45 minutes um so so one thing like obviously i didn't know i know that the film like i was talking with you through messages the other day and like i know the film puts up title cards of dates and shit like that but i'm really bad chronologically with stories um so i i'm not sure how the film portrays the amount of time between like the book coming out, the interview, other things in his life, and the suicide. Um, but obviously, I'm watching the film in the context of I know that like sometime in the future, <laughs> he committed suicide. And I'm watching it through the lens of like, I don't know anything about this guy other than the words he says now and that he will eventually commit suicide. Um, and I don't know, that that definitely played from me viewing the character as a tragic character and trying to listen for the tragedy in the words that he spoke. And obviously you may or may not have had that... Like, you already know the dialogue. You're just watching the presentation of the dialogue. But does it... Does that factor into you or no? A, a little bit. Um,
0: when I saw the movie open... The movie basically opens with the announcement of his suicide. Or if not opens within yeah. the first, like, five minutes. Um, and my gut reaction was kind of, oh, damn it, they brought that into this, but I'm actually pretty, I'm pretty happy for it. Like I, I think I didn't start reading him until after he uh, he took his life. Okay. I, I have friends who read his books way before that happened, so they might have a different feeling. But for me, that definitely, that definitely colors everything he wrote because uh, he writes so much about loneliness and trying to get out of your head. And, you know, yeah. getting rid of the cruel master, uh, the mind being a terrible master. Uh, so if I get to have that context, then it's only fair that the movie try to give other people that context. So I, I think it was it was light-handed enough that it wasn't like they beat you over the head with it. Like they make sure that he keeps convincing you, I'm not just a depressed dude. I wasn't just addicted to stuff. Like it's more complicated than that. Uh, so I, I like the balance. I felt I felt the tragedy, but it wasn't like like some fake tragic saintly character. It was more of a this is a sad thing that's going to happen a decade later.
1: Yeah, yeah, and, and, and you know, once again, I, I don't think that he he doesn't write in the way that a lot of depressed people write. Like he he's not just like ah, oh, I feel lonely, wham. It's very much an understanding of what loneliness is in a way that, like, it is basically articulating things that most people feel without thinking about why they feel that way.
0: So what would make a really good companion piece to this, I'll tell you on the air so you get called out if you don't read it. <laughs> um, <laughs> All right, is that essay I sent you, Good Old Neon. If you Google it, my website with the illegal PDF is still the first thing to show up. Um, <laughs> yeah, so that... The structure of that, I don't want to give away too much, but it is very similar to what David Lipsky is doing with David Wallace, of looking at someone in the past and trying to figure out what happened, like where it all went wrong. Uh, It would, if I could spoil that essay, I feel like there's a lot of really interesting parallels between that and this movie. All right. So... Maybe you should read it. It takes like an hour of your time. <laughs> Maybe there's an audiobook. I don't know.
1: <laughs> I'll, I'll read it. I'll read it. And yeah. th- this is definitely one of those things where like his stuff now, I kind of don't want to listen to an audio. Like generally, I, I will read a book as I listen to it in audio just because my I have a problem with um uh like reading stamina. Like my brain just says like, F it, I'm out. Like, <laughs> really quickly when i try to read without something to stimulate my brain um but like this is like stuff that i've made a conscious effort that like if i'm reading any of it like i want to just read it read it um and not be pushed along by any sort of audio or narration um just for whatever reason because that's how i, feel. I would say his stuff especially
0: is much better read than listened to yeah it's
1: just too like
0: it's too wordy to, <laughs> to just listen while you're doing something else yeah yeah so one one thing I'm curious about, as someone who had not read the book and had probably never heard him speak before, did Jason Segel's delivery, like you mentioned the moment you met him, then the way he talked kind of clicked with you, did it ever feel a little like self-conscious or like he was reciting something rather than actually feeling something? Or did it feel very natural to you?
1: It, it it felt natural to me. I mean, if if anything, uh, Jesse Eisenberg's portrayal of his character felt very much not not like a person reciting lines, but like a person thinking very carefully about how smart that his next words will be. Um, mm-hmm. But Jason Segel's delivery felt very much of like, this is sort of, just how I talk, and I'm not like, because usually. usually like, if if you listen to, like, a normal person's, like, speech that's been written and rewritten and rewritten to, like, to go from, like, simple to more and more complex sounding, like, the delivery of... There's a lot of pauses after big words and, like, any sentence that should be smart sounding is, like, delivered in a way like, did you get my smart sentence? And his his dialogue is very much just, like, very breezy, kind of comes out. And, and also, a lot of the times, his lines are being delivered somewhat in defense because, you know, Dave Lipsky is, like calling him out on being too intelligent or something like that you know and he's mm-hmm. like reducing it as he speaks but not changing his dialogue in any way whatsoever um there's that, that great moment that,
0: that's where, good like, oh, oh no no you you go ahead first
1: i was just gonna say there's the great moment where in the, they're in the car and uh he's like direct like like he's uh uh, Dave Litsky says something like, you know, like, uh, how, like, do you think, or how does it feel like knowing you're so much smarter than everybody else, whatever? And he's like trying to defend it in a way and say, like, no, like, I'm not smarter than everybody. I may be like really eloquent and be able to speak this way, but like, I don't think myself smarter than anybody else, blah, 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 blah. And uh, that like defense of that being called out, I thought was good. And obviously, um, yeah, you know, more to the line earlier where he came in when he said that, you know, when he talked about when the tape was off and stuff like that. But yeah, like I, I thought all of it flowed very well and I didn't feel off put by him speaking anyway. I felt more like interested the more he spoke.
0: Because I think for the most part, I felt that too. Uh, the curse of having read <laughs> so much of this dialogue already. Yeah. Is there would be times when it would slip into a he is reciting lines that I've heard before scenario. And like that's kind of inevitable after you know having literally read the script of this already yeah. Uh, yeah so i'm I'm happy to know that from an outside perspective you don't you don't feel it jumping from the from the improv to the very scripted uh, and and i also think it fits with his character because even though like he is an everyman and like he tries really hard to be not super self-conscious the way that jesse eisenberg is uh he is clearly very worried about how he'll be seen by other people. Like, how will the article go? How will people look at me? If I say this, how could you misinterpret it to paint me in a negative light? So there, there is, like, something about him that's still calculating a little. He's still trying to present a version of himself that he wants to be, which might not be exactly how he would be if he were, like, hanging out with friends, tossing back a beer, and just shooting shit
1: yeah so here's here's one example i mean obviously you can give context to this since since you know the basic script of this movie um the once those two other girls come into the picture and like jesse eisenberg's character is talking to the one chick i that all felt very strange to me like from a different movie like i don't know if it's just because they're individual personal conversations were being left and other people were being folded into the group but like i didn't understand the motivation of anything that was happening in those scenes like why he was a certain way and like jesse eisenberg is like i spent the entire movie not drinking because i want to be like nice and now i'm so angry i'm gonna drink a single beer like i (laughs) like all like that whole like sub arc of of their interactions and where that played, and and also because of how close to the end of the tour it actually was, like I, it I, I don't know why any of that's in there, and like because because most of it is like really, really interesting dialogue that makes me think about the subjects they're talking about, and then this was straight up just like two bros like feuding over a girl, even though like the one dude has a girlfriend back in the other city, and like I.
0: I so i i feel you i do feel like the movie emphasized that the movie put an arc that doesn't actually exist in like the straight up conversation um i don't mean they made it up i mean they gave it a significance that i don't think there was in the book yeah um uh, the reason i think it works is that it is trying to show that even though they are hyper intellectual having deep conversations they still are just total lowbrow dudes also. (laughs) Yeah. And, like, the thing that disrupts them, like, the supposed smartest writer of his generation is still, like, a petty squabble about a girl. Uh, And I think that was trying to get something about his character across. I'm not sure it needed to be presented as this, like, giant arc that needed a resolution at the end of the film. But I still thought it fit with the tone.
1: I guess one of the reasons it bothered me is because there's so many times where like Jason Siegel is like staring at Jesse Eisenberg and watching him have conversation with this other girl, mm-hmm. and obviously that doesn't pick up on a tape recorder, so there's no record of any of this happening. But the narrate the narr the narrative of the film is coming from the person who didn't know he was being looked at, so like <laughs> it just feels false maybe not the proper word i just without any without any actual significance coming from that and without that like it'd be one thing if the interview was supposed to be for two weeks long and it ended after five days because of that feud I, the, the like,
0: stanford prison experiment version of the interview <laughs> yeah
1: exactly <laughs> like if jason sigal's like boy you better like them sausages <laughs> and then like it just ends then like okay you better well, eat your
0: is... pop tarts boy <laughs>
1: And and also it comes in a weird place too because – so in a conversation earlier in the film, Jesse Eisenberg is talking about how like he has a girlfriend back at home but like he has no intention of marrying her necessarily because he doesn't know if he – like there, there's some like kind of semi-douchey – thing that he's talking about but then like a man who talks so much about like loneliness David Foster Wallace and also like there's there's a scene where he talks like Jesse Eisenberg asks him I I know I always bounce between like the actor's names and the character's names but yeah the one of the things he asks David Foster Wallace is like oh like do you wish you had somebody uh, with you around this time and like he gives this amazing answer that is all about like uh, yeah like the usual like yeah of course I wish I had somebody with me but his explanation is not just like a loneliness thing it's, it's more of a thing about like I wish that I'd had somebody with me for the last several years who understands me in a way that's not these people looking up to me but somebody who was through it with me as I experienced everything and knows me inside my head and like I I, I'm doing a horrible job of like paraphrasing this but like I thought it was a beautiful answer about like uh, what it means to be with somebody and like have a close personal relationship with somebody else in a way that you can't have with other people that you know in the normal world and Mm -hmm. like it's a man who talks about loneliness a man who has like romantic notions like that built into it and then like this person who he's not with who Jesse Eisenberg, who has a girlfriend but, like, has stated that, like, there's probably nothing there, is just talking with this girl and he's going to let, like, it seems like he would be up to any people mingling and, like, having any sort of, like, brief connection at all simply from the standpoint of, like, it's only doing good, it's not doing harm. Like, it it is, I, I guess I felt in, like, the 30 minutes of the film that I'd watched so far that... I didn't understand why he'd be upset that he'd be talking to Beth or whatever her name was.
0: Yeah, I. so I think there are two reasons they put that in. Neither of them are necessarily great. Um, The first one, you mentioned how is the author of this could not have known that he is watching him this way, that he's actually feeling this way on the inside. So why is it given this significance? And I think the reason the script wanted to do it was to point out jesse eisenberg's flaws like that every time he's talking to people he is kind of bragging and pumping himself up like he has this very self-conscious way about him and i think it was trying to be like he he uses jason siegel to convince himself of this flaw in him like because he sees how this guy behaves around people versus how he behaves Uh, so that's one reason the other reason is i think it wanted to show that even if like David Wallace, the author, can have these lofty ideals about loneliness and about relationships and what they mean, at the end of the day, he is also still a person who gets stuck in trivial crap and likes pop tarts and dancing and <laughs> everything else. Um, <laughs> so I think those are how they tried to tie it together. It still didn't really feel true to the character for me, but I I got what they were going for at least,
1: and I also thought that like. Because in that context, he's not, like, sneaking off to go hook up with this girl. He's not even really – like, obviously, like, I'm sure he thought she was attractive and they may or may not be flirting even though they're really just talking about their own stuff that they've done and their own accomplishments. I, I guess I – part of the problem is that I, wh- where I assumed it was going is because, you know, I, I think it was earlier in the film than that moment where he had said that he wants to interview their parents uh, or to, to, you know – of Foster Wallace's parents, and uh, he's like, no, I'd I appreciate it if you didn't do that. And in that scene, like, he's talking to Beth on the side, and I almost felt like I assumed that what he didn't want him doing was interviewing people outside of himself and deriving a narrative from other people. Um, mm mm-hmm. And that's kind of like where I thought that was going is he wanted to control the narrative about himself as best he could. Like, I agreed for you to come interview me, not for you to get into the lives of the people who have been in my life and ask them for stuff that I don't know what they're saying about me. Um, But then when it turned into like, you know, I dated her in the past and like blah, 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 blah. I was kind of just like, okay, cool. And then I also didn't know what his relationship was to the other girl that was there. Like, I just assumed that they were, like, sort of an item-ish, but which would have made it even weirder that, like, he would be upset that he was into the other girl. Like, I, there's a lot that I didn't understand.
0: It's a little bit of a mixed message, though I, I do think they paint him in the story and the movie as a guy who also cares about kind of lowbrow things. Like, he he talks repeatedly at the beginning of how, like, It would be kind of great to get laid on this tour, (laughs) you know, and stuff like that, like where he can talk about romance, but then he can also talk about this other shit. Uh, So it does feel like a detail that they would have only included if it actually happened. Um, I don't really remember it off the top of my head because narratively, you're right. Like, it'd be great if he were instead just trying to control the narrative, and that is the reason he's behaving this way. But I think the answer is he wants to control the
1: narrative and he's also kind of a, a teenage boy inside. Yeah. yeah, And and I'm sure it definitely took place. And part of the problem might be that like Jesse Eisenberg's like the real life person who he was playing, like may have misunderstood mm-hmm. the intentions of the, Hey, like I'd appreciate you not talking to her. Like yeah, especially 12 just, years later. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It might've just been his interpretation of why he must've thought that when in his real intention could have been like, oh, yeah, like, I don't want you asking her for details about when we dated way back in the day.
0: Um, so one so- one interesting thing, I, I won't consider it a spoiler, because, like, can anything be a spoiler here? Um, but the actual author, David Foster Wallace, he was, like, very much, like, struggling with addiction, and he was in and out of rehab, and he did go through the program, even though he says repeatedly in this that he didn't. And most of the time when he said he was going to a church or something, he was actually going to AA meetings. Uh, but, which makes for a kind of weird conclusion to this movie, uh, the note that it ends on. Um, have yeah,
1: him actually dancing <laughs> at
0: a church. Yes. Yeah, well, you know, James Ponsult, slow-mo dancing, spectacular now. It's just his thing. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway... Be- because of that, it is, in reality, it was like he, he developed these stories about these people and kind of why he doesn't want you to talk to them. But it might actually have been trying to protect that secret. Like maybe it was at the time he was dating her. He was struggling with drug addiction and she knows too much. And so he's trying to push him away. Yeah. Cool.
1: <laughs> well, do you have oh, well, any cool. more questions for me? Like I think I'm tapped out of questions for you.
0: Let's see. I, I guess, like, my main curiosity, which you already answered, was how the portrayal of Jason Siegel would work for you, because he does kind of portray the author's quirks along with his intelligence. And I think the answer is he did it just fine.
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I. I at this point, I've seen more of Jason Siegel being this person than this person being himself. <laughs> so. <Yeah. laughs> Actually, I've, all right, seen, so I've seen zero of it. I've just listened to that, to the commencement speech that you sent me.
0: Yeah, so here's a Jeff Kanata question for you. Uh, have you ever seen My Dinner with Andre?
1: <laughs> it's it's in... So I, I I know that's the movie that, like, everybody has to watch. And, like, I, I remember a friend back in college was, like, she bought it because of some film class she took, and she, like, lent me her a copy of it. And she was like, all right, you have to watch this movie. I bet you you won't make it through the whole thing. I was like, I bet you I will. And... <laughs> It's the filmic version of Infinite Jest. It sat on like my counter for like years and I never mm-hmm. watched it. Um but uh it is I believe it is still actually I'm trying to think when I moved and I was like packing my stuff up and throwing stuff up, I had like a certain amount of stuff that I put in storage and I don't remember if I was like okay, I haven't talked to this person in so long that either They'll never ask for these DVDs back, or I'll just rebuy them for them if they ever, like, want them again. (laughs) So I can't remember if it's currently sitting in my storage locker back in San Diego, or if it is in a landfill somewhere.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so I was in the same boat where I'd kind of been meaning to watch it and never actually brought myself to. Until last night, I decided... It like it seems relevant to this movie. It's another thing that's all about the conversation between two intelligent people. Uh, so it's on Hulu Plus, and I watched it. The first half is pretty boring. The second half is really, really good. Like the the conversation <laughs> definitely picks up. I, 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 I really, think
1: I really wish that you would have just said the first half is really boring. The second half is really, really boring. <laughs> <laughs> no,
0: no, but I think it it would be worth watching after watching this one because like. Really, where they go by the second half is a lot of the same stuff about, like, they're not really living, they've been performing, are you getting too comfortable, are things like television kind of numbing you to real experiences. It was actually sort of crazy that it was made 35 years ago because it it totally felt like it could have been made, like, a few years ago. Yeah. I I would recommend watching it just as a, like, interesting comparison. And because I feel like you like this stuff. I mean so Randy and I were trying to gauge whether or not you would have had a good time with this last movie with the end of the tour. Yeah. And because it was such a like talky flick and not much was happening in general, like I never know if other people are going to like it, but then I was thinking like, what are some movies that Chris has really, really loved? You loved Before Midnight. <laughs> you loved the scene in particular where people are sitting around a table, just talking about life. <laughs> artists, you know, pretentious artists are talking about pretentious life musings. Yeah, um, I'm pretty sure you dig Woody Allen movies and stuff. Uh, so anyway, my dinner yeah. with Andre fits in that wheelhouse just right.
1: All right, I'll, I'll give it a shot. No, that that is like my bread and butter. <laughs> like, is people sitting around a table talking to each other.
0: So don't be disappointed that for the first, like, half hour, it's this, like, pretentious guy talking about stories of how he visited Mount Everest and communed with nature. Because there's going to be a point where Wallace Shawn basically says, like, I don't know what the f*** you're talking about. (laughs) And and after he does that, it's just like, yes, okay, this is getting good now. Nice. Also, he uses the word inconceivable, which made me laugh. Good, Nice. (laughs) (laughs) anyway that was a long tangent (laughs) we can get into verdicts i guess
1: oh yeah we haven't even done that yet. (laughs) i feel like this is the type of conversation we have in after spoilers so like i in my head plus we already did spoilers for the gift earlier in the other episode so like i felt like we had already like finished the episode a long time ago (laughs) it's kind of like life man (laughs) um (laughs) But, uh, yeah, so let's get to our verdicts for the film then. Stephen, if you're going to give us a must-see, recommend with a caveat, wait for rental pass it passes the caveat, or must-avoid, what would you give it?
0: If if I were taking, taking the rating system literally, there'd have to be a caveat, because I'm sure not everybody is going to like this movie. Yeah. Um, but personally, I'm going to have to give it a must-see. I think it really is made up of great conversations. It's an interesting look at an author that I think is very important to me and even though everyone has heard of him in that kind of hipster way i actually think more people should pay attention to him uh, so i'm happy the movie exists i think it does a great job and it was the best conversation i ever had
1: <laughs> um so is that like a is that a a reference to my dinner with andre uh,
0: to both i think both actually have a line like that this okay, movie gotcha. and that movie um, <laughs> But yeah, I would totally recommend it. I think what I really enjoy kind of in literature and in films and in everything is like the sacredness of mundane things. Like I think I love when something can take just an ordinary conversation or an ordinary day and make it feel profound. And I think David Wallace does it really well. James Ponsold does it really well. And seeing the two come together, it's like chocolate and peanut butter running into each other <laughs> on the sidewalk, m- making
1: Reese's, it, it, it just clicks in a nice way. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, I, I've I definitely, I, I, I kind of have to take the rating system literally like I'm kind of in the same boat as you, like for me, it was a must see. Um, but like in reality, I don't know other people who will react in the same way that I did. Um, so, I mean, I don't know if I'll be unique in people who know nothing about them who really enjoyed it versus people who know a lot about them who really enjoy it. Like, it's hard for me to kind of figure that out. Um, so I'm just going to give it a, reckon with a caveat, caveat just being that if you're not into the people talky stuff, then it might not be that great for you. Um, but I really had a great time with it. And it's kind of funny, too, because in, in most things, when there's some person who's just, like, really great, I usually don't like them. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, so the fact that this film starts with, like, just people talking about how great this man is, it, like, I would really hate the guy if, like, the first words out of his mouth weren't <laughs> incredibly interesting. <laughs> so it's kind of like one of those things where it's like, I, usually I really am just, like, rooting to not like the guy at all. Um, or may, may, maybe the reason it works is because he is placed against the dave lipsky character and that guy is sort of the bad guy who i normally route against root against um so i I don't somehow it worked and i didn't like automatically not want to be interested in david foster wallace mostly i'm in the boat now of like (laughs) it's cliche to like him (laughs) so like i could read like every single thing he's ever written and be stoked about it but now i'm only reading it because he like because other people say he's so great
0: yeah but isn't that the point things sound cliche because they're true <laughs> i think that's uh that's one of those things you learn over life is all these like super cliche banal things usually wind up becoming cliches because they're actually, <laughs> actually yeah, good. yeah
1: cool well uh i think that's about going to do it for this episode of the podcast so Stephen, if people want to find you throughout the week where can they do that
0: uh, people can find me on twitter.com slash sdavidmiller or sdavidmiller.com.
1: Cool. People can find me at christopherinreallife.com or twitter.com slash christopherirl. Uh, you can find the podcast over at the where you can get a bunch of the back episodes of the show. Um, if you want to figure out when these episodes go live, you can follow us at twitter.com slash spoiler warning or like us at facebook.com slash the warning. Um, if you want to get a hold of us directly, you can send an email to fans at the dot com. You can use the contact form on our site, or you can call and leave us a voicemail at at 760-575-4TSW. That's 760-575-4879. Is is there a soundtrack for this movie? I don't know. There's that R.A.M. song that never shows up in the movie, but it's in the trailer. All right. Well, the the, the song for this episode will probably come from that, then. (laughs) Probably the Alanis Morissette song. Actually, yeah, it'll be Alanis Morissette. (laughs) Um, which will make more sense if you see the movie I guess um, but uh, yeah thanks for joining me once again Stephen thanks for having me And thank you guys for listening uh, we will see you next time bye